0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show.
1: Another stressful week over and City are still in pole position in the Premier League, though not without a scare at Burnley. With 10 minutes to play at Turf Moor, was there a single supporter who would have admitted that they were actually enjoying the match? I know I wasn't, and I've got bitten fingernails to prove it. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking at how Pep Guardiola's side got over the line in that 1 0 win, about 29.51mm over the line. But a goal is a goal, and there isn't one of us who cares how it went in. With the FA Cup final on the horizon, the price of tickets is in the spotlight as well. With the top category hitting a huge £145, we're asking if it's possible to justify spending that much on a football match, and we'll We'll hear from some fans who have decided enough is enough. Howard Hawkins talking mental strength, something that will no doubt be important as Leicester come to town on Monday night. And the Foxes are about as close to a bogey side as City have these days. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio, I have two of City Twitter's absolute finest. The man behind the numbers at Stat City, Adam Carter. Hello. And we're in esteemed company with Stephen McInerney. How are you doing? Hey, all right. Not too bad, thanks. I, uh, first off, Adam, I need to address this because uh, your mates have been getting in touch with me all <laughs> over Twitter. Um, so I, I've got to ask, what's your favourite stat?
2: <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> um, I, the one coming up is that when we play at Wembley in the FA Cup final, it'll be our 14th appearance, excluding the Tottenham games. And that'll be, we've appeared at the new stadium more times than the old stadium now. Oh, so. that's, good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. My,
1: my favourite, it's not really a stat, but my favourite kind of coincidence is that when City were relegated in uh, 97, 98, the two games that sent them down were QPR and Stoke. And then the markers of the, yeah. the Mansour era were QPR and Stoke and, oh, wow, uh, for, oh, for nice. the two trophies. So it's not, it's not really a stat, but it's a nice coincidence. <laughs> I that, I thought, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're distracting from the from the main <laughs> point. Uh, the title race, Stephen, how, how are your nerves holding up? I can't wait for the season to end. Honestly, <laughs> I am absolutely
3: terrified. Uh, it's just been horrible, hasn't it? It's been, I think mainly, and you probably guys noticed this as well, when you're in, so involved in social media as well, you feel like you, you feel it more and it probably, yeah. I need to, I started del- deleting Twitter from my phone because it's the only way I can get through <laughs> my day because it, you get so consumed and it, you get too anxious about it all, but um, a lot of people have been saying it's probably more fun than than last year's, but they must be saying a masochist because this isn't more fun at all. It's It's horrible, but it would just i'm just dreading the idea of coming this far and it not and it not, not happening off. that's yeah. the thing that scares me like weirdly the idea of not winning the league doesn't scare me as much as not winning it in this circumstance, if that makes sense. Like in yeah. terms of, it's the Liverpool thing. That, that's it's, spot on. I yeah.
2: kind of re- resigned myself and Liverpool are having a phenomenal season. So I thought, okay, you can't win it every yeah, year. Yeah. They are doing something exceptional and it, we're just a little bit off the pace. We might fall short. And then to have come back round, exactly, yeah. conceded three goals in since the Newcastle defeat in the Premier League to now, if we fall short at this point, uh, I'd... Give me winning it in march any day like
1: last time. <laughs> well, i was gonna say that i mean people always say that uh, that a tight title race like this is much better than let's like, I, I remember feeling this horrid going into relegation seasons thinking i hope we stay up it's no different it is exactly the same it's still as stressful and i hate it i can't i can't deal with it it's that not fair. very
3: stressful isn't it like, <laughs> why honestly do we do this ourselves um uh, who was it saying recently? I saw someone like said that technically this isn't a good title race because both teams just keep winning and there's no twists and turns. But I kind of know what they mean. and I think that actually does make it a little bit more stressful because when teams keep winning and keep marching on, the fear of the mistake is bigger. Yeah. So you feel like it's going to count more. So it's it's so monotonous this title race in terms of there's no missteps that you feel like there's no chance to come back essentially if you do
1: make a mistake and that makes it even more anxious it's horrible now Adam hand on heart I want you to tell me absolutely honestly now did you think that goal up Turf Moor was ever going to come it was
2: after when we didn't get and thought it was going to come until we didn't get the penalty and then I thought it's not our day and then I'm hoping well Newcastle might do us a favour, and you start working the permutations out in your head before the game you're watching is actually finished. <laughs> That's how close it is now. And I was, I'd like to hope that we still we got this mentality of fighting to the end and it coming. But um, no, I think once the penalty shout had gone, which was a blatant penalty, I thought. Unbelievable, that wasn't it? Uh, our days. We
3: were yeah. battering it at that point. We created a lot of chances. So I was semi confident still. It hadn't got to the point where it was critical yet, I didn't think. But if it had been another 10 minutes later, I, I, yeah, I would have lost I chuck the towel in at
1: Turf Moor after about half an hour. I thought it's not <laughs> yeah, happening. It, wasn't it. Just not just he,
3: reminded me of the, old, of the old traffic game in terms of a slow start. And then 10 minutes before half time we started to turn the screw a little bit. And we came out pretty well as well. So mm-hmm. um, you've got to give it to the players, though. The yeah. phenomenal, isn't it? it really well, is. I
1: was going to say the one thing you can say for this season is no matter the circumstances, they just seem to get the job done so in this last
2: few batch of games probably from the Crystal Palace game has all been about game management now and as a fan you're on edge for the full 90 but if you look at since when we scored at Burnley we stopped the tempo straight down Raheem Sterling was intentionally walking around the pitch with the ball lending it to Silva lending it to Gundogan Jesus uh, did it a number of times yeah, and that's obviously the intention because the game management there now for that, the nerves are still to be able to do that because I'm desperate for them to go forward <laughs> yeah. and go for the jugular at 1-0 and there was periods where there was almost a walking pace and I think if a Liverpool fan who's not got that stress of us watching our team would think that Burnley simply weren't like meeting us in the in the match but they actually were yeah. it's just Pep's management and he's actually changed his style, I think, in, in, uh, over years gone by, where he might have been a bit naive. I'm, you can't call Pep naive, but... No, I agree. I uh, know where you coming from, definitely. And the, the game management now, in these last few games, has been absolutely
3: nerves of steel, like, like you say. This City team is so far away from his Bayern, and then his Barca team, because they're so much more pragmatic when they need to be. You would never see a Guardiola team bring on two centre-backs, you know, go four centre-backs on the pitch at one point. We had literally all of them there. Yeah. I, I love that, because it's almost... It's, it's like he's absorbing what will make him stronger you know like all the things that could harm him he absorbs them and becomes stronger himself never as well. the fear that he might invite pressure though yeah, weirdly it didn't know did it like it, definitely the fear of that but i guess they're also well versed in how we play it's like i was expecting this late siege from burnley but it didn't really happen you know it didn't because we seem to manage it pretty well and i guess hindsight's hindsight's a beautiful thing because it could have happened as, as you say but i guess he got it right and um it's weird seeing him change uh but I don't think he's changed the negative. I think he's just learning. And I, think but tell, I
1: mean, we mentioned Jesus as well. I mean, when he took it around the keeper and fired it in and, and oh. it was cleared off the line, again, you must be thinking, you know, just get that second goal, kill the game. Because Burnley, I mean, at 1-0, there's still a chance, a deflection, a, you know, a, yeah. a freak, something, a, a funny bounce can go they against you. They had a
2: free kick late on as well, which I thought this could be rep, a replication of the uh, Crystal Palace game. Yeah. And um, you know, when Ben Me cleared that one off, I thought, well, there, be, there was some... Uh, assumptions that Burnley, because were on the, could have been on the beach because they were safe by that by kickoff because of the results the previous day, yeah. that they weren't going to try, but they did really make a good show of it and make sure that we, they didn't go down without a fight. So
1: well, it's all it's all fine margins, isn't it? Because the goal, people were calling it lucky. We said just over twenty nine millimeters. Um, was it lucky? A goal's a goal, isn't it? Really. So I'm going to clean my heart on that. I think I think we deserved the goal. We'd earned it.
3: We we absolutely peppered them. Um and I, I really like this technology it's really useful isn't it <laughs> so like, I, I hated that tweet from City the whole like tempting fate one yeah. about the Liverpool thing I mean, oh nerves even just thinking about it but I guess it wasn't lucky because it was a goal you know and he went in and I can't really... I don't think correct decisions are ever lucky, really. Adam,
1: Adam, Adam describe the moment between... The way <laughs> the, the shot going <laughs> yeah, over the line and yeah. the referee actually giving the goal. Well, I do think it was in, personally. Yeah, I, was, I was convinced it was, so oh, okay. there
2: we've come from two sides. I, I thought, it's got to be. He, um, the defender's standing foot was behind the line, I think, to get his swing on it. I was quite confident, but... Twenty-nine
1: point five one millimeters. Confident, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's,
2: it's weird how this season could hinge on two goal line technology decisions, and how like that's how close the two teams are that that could be this decision that stops Jurgen Klopp becoming a centurion and oh, an invincible God. in the same season. Just by those two decisions, it's crazy how it can come down to that.
1: I would always, I'd always argue that that as, as much as as the the games between city and liverpool have, have came down to that because of obviously the it, it, there was a missed penalty at anfield so that i mean that swings it another way yeah. as well um and then you you look at, at some of the other games city they had an awful december they had that spell of three defeats in four games where that's just not normal that's not city yeah i mean i think it was it was when you,
3: it's weird because if you average out out over the course of two seasons i mean those defeats in terms of numbers look quite normal but we'd become accustomed to this incredible unstoppable guardiola machine is it 192 points now or something yeah. Yeah. available Combined, or something yeah. like that for this season that alone still obviously six more to play but yeah that that kind of spell um everything caught was a little bit didn't it at the time and um they thought like the world was caving in and, maybe it's interesting to see where liverpool would have been you know um if we hadn't dropped those points if they kept you know if they kept the tempo up as well or whatever but yeah, that was a. I think there's a spell a lot of us kind of predicted as well. Really, not like out and out predicted it, but we felt like we would have a bit of a kind of dodgy winter because it just looked a bit too much at the time.
1: It well, as a, as a man who admittedly throws in the towel pretty much every <laughs> week, I, you know, I, I think it was uh, going into that Liverpool game. Just it was start January, wasn't it? I was I was thinking if you know if they don't win this, yeah. then that's it. So that was, was the one, yeah, wasn't it? Anyway? It would have been ten points or something. Is that yeah, right?
2: yeah, yeah. It was ten points before we played Southampton away as well. Yeah, um, and then the turnaround since
1: that it's been phenomenal.
2: You you know. This is our best start to a calendar year ever. Goals scored and goals conceded. We've only conceded six since the start of the, the turn of the year. Uh, we're usually averaging around 15 at this point. That's, it's for a Pep Guardiola team to... Because we always... Well, I feel we've got this reputation of not being as solid at the back, especially yeah. under pet But it's actually been one of
3: our saviors. This it's totally underappreciated, isn't it? Like we're unbelievably good defensively. Yeah. In terms, of, I don't think we get the credit. No, we just it's because it's we defend as a unit, I guess, and like there's individuals don't tend to stand out as much. And it's as much about stopping the chances before they're um before they're
1: there, I guess. In terms yeah. of we snuff it out. It's, we're just hyper organised. Well, the Burnley the, g- the thing, Burnley game kind of puts that into I- into the picture. What was it was it no shots on target yeah. from Burnley? And no corners, and you know, Burnley at they home they play for that as well. No? That's, yeah, they that's literally... what they play for,
2: and Pep knows that that's their, uh, that's their talent. and he's, he's obviously nullified that for so that's his
1: third game now, obviously,
3: at Turf Moor. Um, and they've always been quite tight. I think it was 2 1 was a couple of years back, 0 yeah, 0 2, nil, two nil, no. 1 0 nil, 1 0. Nil. Uh, was it 1 all? Uh, uh, 1 0 uh, wasn't it, yeah, yeah. it? yeah, but he's obviously um, he, he, he was going back to the whole idea that he learns as well and to. To limit Burnley like that. And the crowd. I like, wasn't at Turf mob but it looked like they were up for it, you know. And obviously, there was a decent. Uh, there was definitely application from Burnley, but to limit them, um, people, yeah,
1: as you said, they just don't give the credit that he deserves for that because that takes some doing. It really does. It was uh, goal number 20 for the season for uh, for Sergio Aguero, only the second player to have done that in, uh, in six seasons. Adam, he, he can't. It seems daft to think about when we were talking in Pep's first season that, that he might not be a Pep Guardiola style striker when you look at it now, doesn't it?
2: It's just f- phenomenal record that um, you just know he's Mr. Big Game Player. Um, and Little Game Player, and every game player. You get the stat pad uh, Twitter brigade <laughs> who, when I throw a stat out, it says, Yeah, but how many against the Lesser teams? But if you just take his record against the top six, it's ridiculous. He turns up every game.
3: The, eight goals this season against the big six. Yeah,
2: like and there was a bit where in the last few moments at the, at the derby, he, ch- he chased Ashley Young down in the corner flag. Oh yeah. The... And the passion he's this last he's almost took on this t- this um, ch- title surge or uh, title running to heart. He's, he's so fired up. There's and it's a not just his The to
3: him, the seniority to his way of playing. He
2: was made captain uh, for one of the games. He just leads by example.
3: He's just was, I'm bigoted when he goes. For me, he, yeah, he's the one that I think is honestly irreplaceable because how do you, well, how do you replace your, your highest ever scorer and the guy who's essentially a part of your identity these days? He's more than anyone, well, he's had the defining moment of this kind of era, I guess. Um, and it, it's it's not the goals he brings. It's there's so much more than that. As you're saying, it's like it's the big moments, like that to, the goal against Liverpool, for example, on the third of January. That that left-footed rocket of a shot. No one else in world football scores that
1: kind of goal. But no it's, one. it's it's not just that. It's it's the variety in the yeah. goals. like he's for someone his size, he's quite good in the air. He can you know he can. He the fox in the box and, and poach a goal when you need him to he can run with the ball from the halfway line beat a few players and slide it in he can smash one in from 35 yards he can you know can bend it round defenders left foot right foot Bounce he's off got four people, everything I, yeah. yeah
3: he's got absolutely everything which one again how do you replace him and it's what he brings in terms of his status it's the whole cliche as well about people genuinely fear a name on the team sheet and Aguero is falls into that category he's one of the biggest legends to ever play the game over in this country now he's gone to that point uh, I think some of, some of the press may be begrudgingly given him that title because it's just not as popular conspiracy theory stuff because he is in some pictures. but but I think okay, people weirdly, I still think he's underappreciated by the, the wider community. People are willing to just put him down to be a stat pad or whatever. But when you look at his moments in big games, and it's oh, I'm I, I just don't know, how, honestly, I don't know, how we'll replace him. I think we won't, I think we'll have to adapt to something else. Like we see Bernardo coming through, and he looks obviously the heir apparent to, to, to have it, yeah, over, yeah, and then like obviously our centre-backs have gone a slightly different way, which is kind of fine for like the way we play. So we don't need a company, really, even though we're still obviously seeing his importance in the title race. I think we can be, we can be a different way, as we've seen with Stones and the Port at their best together. But Vaguero, like, he is literally the perfect little striker. Like, I honestly don't know if there's anyone else around the world like him. I'm not saying he's the best forward in the world, but for the way we play and what he brings, what he brings to the fans and his general demeanour, it's just... Yeah, it's a £250 million task.
1: Well, uh, pop quiz. I'm going to throw this one to you, Adam, because I know you know your numbers. Um, <laughs> Sergio Aguero, the only team that he's not scored against in the Premier League that he has played against. Who is it? Bolton. Bolton Wanderers. There we go. He's scored against incredible. scored against every other Premier League side that he's played. How did you do that so quickly?
2: I'm gutted that he put me on the spot there. I usually like a bit of warning, but yeah.
1: I think I nicked it off his Twitter a few days ago. <laughs> so that might be why, uh, might be why I knew the answer. Um, just on the I mean, on the other striking in front, uh, Gabriel Jesus. A few have have tweeted us about this. Um, he did very well after coming on a, a, at Burnley. He's not had many opportunities in the last few weeks. He has has been injured this season as well. Um, do you see him kind of? How do you see him being in this running? Because he's he's very much definitely the second striker to Aguero but that doesn't mean he won't have his uses.
3: It's all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's only made a couple of starts in the past few months, like, you know, in the league and stuff like that. So he's... I'm not saying it's, like, a, a, a worry because the likes of Stones and Sane have struggled to get games as well, and these are two very senior players, but... I think in general, going back to the Aguero thing to, for a second, I think there's a bit of a second man syndrome behind Aguero because pretty much all these... We've had loads of great strikers at all. We really have had very good strikers who have not anywhere near, hit the heights anywhere near what they're capable of because Aguero's there. And I think Aguero smothers the likes of... Um, he smothers Dzeko, for one, you know, and not in a bad way, just because he was just so good. And I think Gabriel Jesus, um, when he started to get one, one of the games at the start of the, uh, this year, he started to score plenty of goals, as we all know. Um, and I think he's very much... Uh, a confidence player in terms of he does need, you know, like ten games to get going and get that confidence in front of the goal, and I think his overall game struggles from just literally being the rotation striker. Whether he's good enough to take over the Aguero mantle, I honestly don't know. I, I think he's potentially brilliant. Like um, I really think he is potentially brilliant. Like that bit of skill against Burnley, yep. uh, some of the goals he scored, like the composure, of the last minute last season. You know, to, the composure to do that mm. uh, in such a big moment. Crystal to,
2: Palace this season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He he had a very mature head on his shoulders against Burnley. I thought down that left yeah, side right, as well. Yeah. It was weird to see him on the left side, but he did put a, in a, a
3: mature performance in there. I'd love to see him get twenty get in, in good circumstances, not people grow being injured. I'd love to see him be able to play 15-20 games you know, and get a run because he's so young still. Uh, he obviously has everything as well in terms of... He looked as well in January, he was dribbling a little bit more as well. He, he was taking people on, which is what we saw when he came over as this wonder kid um, from Brazil. And I, I would love to see that game a little bit more, but I think he's very, his performance is very stuttery. Um,
1: Adam, and, uh, you, you mentioned him on the left. Mm. Does he pose a threat to Sane in the final two games?
2: I think based on Sane's performance against Burnley, we were all crying <laughs> out for him to be recalled. He got his starting line at recall and he was nowhere near as efficient as he is coming from the bench and I'll probably get slaughtered for that. <laughs> oh, trust um, me, I've been
3: slaughtered as well. I'm yeah. that, but it's fair, it's true though.
2: Um, he, he, did a good, uh, he did a good game there. I, I thought he looked accomplished there. He was what we needed in the game at that point and like i said uh, sane was ineffective with uh, zinchenko down the left side and um i just can the, the sane uh, the sane situation just completely
1: was it do you reckon it was because of the of of the way burnley played though because there wasn't a lot of space for sane to work in <laughs> Um, in general, uh, yeah,
3: it, it, the surface was pretty poor. I think there was a lack of cohesion down the left hand side with Laporte feeding Zinchenko, and Zinchenko feeding Soni. You could tell those players hadn't played together quite a lot, um and there was a, a lot of hesitancy. And there was that kind of thing where a player plays a pass, and neither of the people pick it up, and it was going between the players quite a bit with Zinchenko and Soni, kind of both looking at each other, saying, "Well, that was your ball." Yeah, There's a lot tiff, of that. Yeah, we? there was a few of that, but um. He's in, uh, Sane's fresh. He should be fresh. He hasn't been playing anywhere near as much as the likes of you know, Sterling or Bernardo. And um, even if... There was, like Essentially, no one minds if there's no space for him to run into. But there was definitely moments where you think, come on, there is a bit... At least show a little bit of drive and energy. I'm not saying he has a bad attitude or anything like that. I'm not going to be as definitive as that. But he definitely... I think he's a little bit, and obviously arrogance is a good thing sometimes, I think he's a little bit entitled, you know, a, a, a tiny bit. But he can be healthy, as we know, like, probably the second greatest player in the world is the most entitled man in the world, you know, in, in terms of Ronaldo. But I think sometimes, I wish he would turn a little bit more... Um, it's such an easy word to say, but, you know, hunger and, like, a a little bit... I was uh, going to suggest the word umph. Umph, that's mm. the word, yeah. Like, uh, like just, like... Get, oh, I feel like Asane at his very best still you know, in terms of that wasn't at his best, even though there was no service. It just wasn't. at his best runs at someone, he uh he jinks past someone, he does it, he tries that. Even he's done he's done it in games much harder than Burnley before. And people are entitled definitely to um uh, have you know down games and whatever, but you just you just you just hoped, given the kind of pleas for him to start and how much he's not played, to see a little bit more. Now the circumstances are obviously difficult because match fitness and playing. Well, I in was, and... I
1: mean, I was going to say on the on the flip side, Adam, you talked about Crystal Palace before. He was, I thought he was pretty good at Crystal Palace, and that was one of his only starts in in the the recent run as well. It's like it can't be easy to just be thrown straight back yeah, into the fair. squad.
2: Yeah, I, I just can't put my finger on what. I thought this was going to be Sane's year after the last two seasons. I thought we we could have a potential Ronaldo, we're talking about Ronaldo, like we're talking he's got the credential to probably go on and, and achieve that but it's just not clicking for him, he, he played well against Palace, um, he saved us twice in the Champions League, uh, Hoffenheim and Schalke um, and I just, you know he's got those match winning performances in him, Tottenham a few years ago. Um, and I just think I can't put my finger on why it's not happening. And what, because you think, right, he's, he's earned his way back in from the subs bench. He's starting. Now this is going to be his run. He's going to dr- drag us th- over the finish line. And it's kind of stuttered already before it happens, started. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I guess there is the off field stuff. I mean, he's you, become a father, hasn't he, for the first mm-hmm. time this season and so on. And I think there was a little bit of heartbreak post the World Cup kind of snub and so on. And I think he also met once again, it's a wild guess, but I guess it must be difficult being the golden boy and all of a sudden, like, Sterling and Bernardo, but be fantastic. Like, he's not in the team because he's, he's not, not in the team because he's not played well. It's he's, he's because the other two have just been sensational. So, like, it, it, it probably is a little bit hard for him at times to take and I can imagine the kind of person he is is an element of, like, I want to be in that team, and yeah. I just—he's quite young, and he's a n- new dad, and you know, so
1: there is a lot of factors that may be come into it. Yeah. Uh, final word on the uh, on the Burnley game. Um, Carl Walker has, uh, has answered his critics. Oh, he's good, isn't he? At the moment.
2: Yeah, I thought when he made that mistake against Palace to concede the penalty, and Pep kind of made an example of him yeah. around that time. I thought, oh, he's lost his way. Uh, but he's actually on Monday. If he plays, it'll be his fiftieth game this season. He's the most capped outfield player after obviously Edison that's why we brought
1: you in just know these numbers (laughs) off the top of your head
2: Um, and I really thought the writing could be on the wall I know it sounds extreme because he only had a couple of bad games around that December time and Danilo came in and then I think did Danilo get injured and that was Kyle Walker's way back in again and he's been
3: great since then I think he was mainly a victim of his own eagerness to be honest Um, I'm not going to try and get in trouble but I know someone quite close to Kyle Walker Uh, and he, he did the whole thing where this season after the World Cup and bear in mind, obviously he played pretty much every game last season as well. He played an exceptional amount of games and he's the kind of person who does extra running because he's just got so much energy and so on. But he obviously came back from the world cup, like after like five days, which was just silly, you know, he didn't genuinely, like his holiday, did no, he? he didn't, which is looking in hindsight, when you play something like 110 games or something like that inside 18 months, I don't know, it'd be something like that. That's just a guess. I'll <laughs> that, leave that to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but in general, yeah, you're going to have a, a down patch and he, he definitely wasn't at his best, was he for a good couple of months. And, his energy like he didn't have that same turn of pace as well actually I remember thinking people were beating him but it's almost like the Spurs game this Spurs kind of triple header which was I don't want to see Spurs ever again but (laughs) this this triple header of Spurs has kind of rejuvenated him obviously he was really up for it for the first game and I thought he was one of the only ones that came out with a bit of credit of that 1-0 game I thought he was really up for it and then it's it's just got him back into form, hasn't he? I think he's been fantastic. So much energy, so much drive, and he's running past people again, which is something he stopped doing. It's nice to see. Yeah, yeah. he's just using yeah, really his pace nice to, to drive see. past people. And even though he's not the best cross, I think that's probably fair. It's just his sheer presence and the fact that he takes up so much space with his pace is causing. And trouble. There, there was a couple of
2: clearances at the end of the Old Trafford derby that I just yeah, thought yeah. that's accomplished. That is, he didn't panic.
1: He he got it was rid composed of it. on the ball. Yeah, as well, composed. Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Right well if all goes to plan there is the potential for City to crown off a domestic treble at Wembley later this month but not everyone is going to be there to see it. We've been speaking to some fans who are far from happy with how much the FA Cup final is costing. I've been taking a look at the ticket prices and what it means for supporters. Last month, there was a focus on how many Manchester City fans chose not to buy tickets to their side's FA Cup semi-final with Brighton. Roll forward just a few weeks, and City are fortunate to have another trip to Wembley for the final.
4: My name's Anne-Marie, and I've been a City fan for a very, very long time. My brother first took me to the Kipax in the early 90s and we've been going ever since.
1: Anne-Marie is just one of several City fans who got in touch with the Blue Moon podcast to say they weren't making the trip south for the match with Watford. When I got to look at
4: buy my tickets for the FA Cup final, I was absolutely gutted to see that all the tickets available were 115 quid, regardless of where you sat. There is no way I can justify spending that amount of money on
1: a football match. The £115 tickets are the second most expensive available with the £45 and £70 options already sold out. For the top end tickets fans are looking at a whopping £145 per person, that's about £1.62 per minute of football. Then there's travel. A 5pm kick-off meant getting home could have been difficult had the train operator not put on two extra services. Even then, return rail fare will set you back around £90 for the day, or you could fork out an extra £100 for a hotel room.
4: Being a City fan's already a very, very expensive business. I've got a season ticket, I share a season ticket with my son. We've been to all the League Cup games, we've been to all the FA Cup games, we've been to Champions League games. And just because we follow a rich, successful club does not make us rich, successful fans.
1: With City going all the way in the League Cup, making it to the Champions League quarter-finals and reaching the FA Cup final, it makes 60 matches that the team will play this season. Is it any wonder that fans are feeling the pinch? It's a far cry from when Anne-Marie was watching City against Stockport and Macclesfield.
4: In those days, going to Wembley in a Cup final was just a dream. So actually getting to the semi-final against Man U in 2011 was one of my standout matches. This season I took my little boy to the League Cup final. We all sat up in the gods our 40 quid tickets and had an absolutely lovely day
1: out. Each of the tickets for that final, which City won on penalties against Chelsea, was £75 cheaper for Anne-Marie than the best option available to her for the FA Cup. And she's not alone in choosing to miss out on this latest Wembley trip. I'm Lewis, so I record the City Eye podcast, as long my mate Jordan. I've been a City fan all my life, 24 years old. Uh, Dad was a big blue, that's how I I become a City fan. Lewis is another who isn't going to this year's Cup Final purely because of the cost of the tickets. I've chosen not to go to the FA Cup Final, I can afford it, Um, I can get down there, not a problem, but I just think, you know, at some point people have to make a decision as to whether or not they want to spend the money. Um, and I've decided that, you know, enough's enough. The narrative that good fans will do whatever they can to follow their team only puts the power into the hands of the decision-makers at the top of the game. Lewis believes that the only way to get fairer prices for supporters is to simply refuse to buy tickets. I don't think them ticket prices are fair at all. So I've decided, you know what, this ain't for me. I'll just sit at home or I'll go to pub or something and watch it there. I think people need to make a stand and uh, I'm making that now and I I won't be going, I'll be watching on the telly. What might add insult to injury is that the available prize money for the FA Cup this season has been doubled. It's left Anne-Marie asking why tickets are still at their highest ever level. It really
4: baffles me that if there is money being generated that absolutely none of it is being shared with the people at the grassroots which is us. 115 quid to go and see an FA Cup final is beyond me and unfortunately it means I'm not going to get to go, which I'm very, very cross about and very upset about.
1: There are no doubt many more City fans with similar stories to Anne-Marie and Lewis. Fans are not made of money and just because a team is successful doesn't mean that supporters are more able to pay ridiculous prices. As things stand, football is a luxury more and more of us just can't afford.
3: Hi, this is Paul Lake, and you're
1: listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: A look there at the ticket prices for the FA Cup final. Now, we have spoken to the FA, and they uh, they have sent us a statement on our criticisms of the ticket prices. They say, there have been no increases to ticket prices for this year's Emirates FA Cup semi-finals or final. We raised the prices last year for the first time in a number of years, but these have now been frozen for the next two seasons seasons. The Emirates FA Cup final is one of the most prestigious events in the sporting calendar and the prices are in line with many of these events. It is also important to remember that the FA is a not-for-profit organisation where every pound and penny of profit is reinvested back into entry-level football in England. So first off, uh, guys, well, knowing the ticket prices for this game and and knowing what the criticisms are, what do you make of what the FA has got to say? Uh, So I used to work for a charity and when the
2: customers would complain about our prices we had a standard text that said <laughs> we're a non-for-profit organisation and any money goes back in. Now, last time I checked, they weren't a charity as such. Um,
1: can the sponsorship that they get not subsidised go towards the cost of the tickets? Well, the, Like we said in the piece, the prize money for this season's FA Cup has been doubled. That's not the final prize money, that's the prize money for every single round. That's that's a
3: lot. Well, guess where that's come out of? Maybe our pockets, I guess, isn't it? Is it? They're obviously getting the money from the, some, somewhere. and it, To me, I mean that's um once again this whole. I know it's a, a cliche, but literally that ethical final will be nothing without the fans and so on, and um, the sponsorship you get from it all and all that kind of stuff is it. it just kind of shows this. They're taking it's, it's. That's a very easy answer from them, to be honest. This whole like it's. A, oh, don't know. We do all this. We all know they make up plenty of money. Of course they do. Otherwise it it wouldn't be one of the most prestigious things in the world because it, it is. It. I am kind of sick of it all. I am genuinely sick of it all because. Um, it's got to the point now where oh we didn't increase it is a good thing and, but, but that was not the issue in the first place, not being increased is not the issue it's like, it's where it is at this moment it's it's almost a little bit patronising to kind of uh, bring that out and I always feel like they're looking across the, you know across the the ocean and looking at the prices in america and all that kind of stuff and because i'm not sure if you guys have sent as well but when you tweet about ticket prices you get a lot of um americans the fans yeah, yeah American the americans fans. talk
1: about well that's well, what it's like in this country yeah and but, I, I don't disagree with that i think they're too high as well though. yeah that's the thing is i feel like um
3: the cultural norms are so different um yeah we all feel so connected because of the internet and so on but essentially we're all in such different circumstances and what we expect from a game what they do like i know it's a prestigious cup final but I feel ripped off when I pay £50 for a ticket at the Etihad. Um, I can't justify some of these prizes at the FA Cup final, personally. Um, I'm only at the point where I'm saving, for. personally, I'm saving money for like a mortgage and all that kind of stuff, and I mean, I don't want to spend £200 on a trip to London, because it's, it's just a lot of money, and I'll probably end up doing it. I've probably.
1: Uh, i not personally, out of principle, I've not got a ticket yet. Um, well, I probably that's... will end up caving in and getting one, but... Well, let's throw it's some just... numbers at you because um, you mentioned the, ex- the expense of the ticket prices. The first time FA Cup tickets went over £100, they were £115 that was for City's last FA Cup win. So that was 2011 where where City were the first team to, to have fans that paid over £100 for a ticket. Um, this season's prices uh, for 2019 are £45, £70 they've sold out, £115 and £145. Uh, compare that to the FA Cup semi-final which were 30, 45, 65 and 80. So like the the, the top-end tickets they have gone up £65. Pounds. That's 81% increase.
2: It's just to pay the cost of Wembley back, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And I'm scared of missing out by not going to the game, so I will be going. I've got a £70 category ticket. Um, the only way it's going to stop is if we vote with our feet, but I don't think everyone's going to do it at the same time. And There's always going to be someone ready to step in and take that yeah. ticket, a day-tripper or so.
3: It feels um, a bit futile, doesn't it, sadly? It feels like, regardless, it feels like it's just not going to change. And um, I guess it's because there are so many people and it's such a global game that there are always people willing to step in. Uh, it does feel scandalous. I mean... Honestly, um, like in, in the in the Vox Pops there, uh, I, I personally can probably afford it. I probably could afford to get down there. Um, I'm not sure anyone I'd, who
1: I'd usually go with can afford it. I know my dad's a bit skinned. Uh, well, I feel mean, like things like that. But The point that I, that I think it's crucial to make at this stage is no matter what other people tell you, if you decide that you're not going to this game because... You can afford it, but you think the ticket prices are too high. I've got the ultimate respect for you. I don't. You are not a bad fan, not at all. It's just I, I remember. It's weird when you think
3: about it because I um I remember a few years back when one of my favourite bands, Radiohead, like they played the MN Arena, and I remember getting this was probably about five years ago. and bulking at the price of like sixty five pounds, and then with ten pounds, adding fees, seventy five quid. And this was a band I would probably see once you know in a lifetime. And I remember thinking that was too much, and like, and all of a sudden you think, wait, that. How can I be willing to pay £40 more for the FA Cup final for a team that I watch pretty much every week? You know, like it just seems like it, there's a bit of a kind of um, a and when disconnect. it's on free to air telly as well, yeah, it's I, I understand where anyone would go, I understand the fear of missing out because I've got it. And I said before, I'll probably cave in, I probably will do, I've not so far yet, but it just feels like um, because people were willing to pay it, they'll charge it. And I guess is the whole kind of, it's sort of capitalism in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Like if it's if people will pay it, I guess technically it's worth it, but well, I don't know, that- it's just normalizing. A very negative thing.
1: The last time City were in the FA Cup final, 2013, for that uh, that loss to Wigan, um, the top end prices then were 115 pounds. So they've gone up 30 quid the the top end tickets since then. The lowest end were were 45 pounds, which are the same as this time, um, and then the mid range was 65, 85. So they they've gone up slightly. Um, We've we obviously we we always ask for questions for Ask the Panel. Uh I'm gonna bring one forward uh, from Ask the Panel now from uh, from Gaz Warrington. He's tweeted us to say sixty pound to take my lad to the League Cup final, it was two hundred and five pounds for the FA Cup. How can anyone justify that for ninety minutes of football in the same stadium? Do you think a stay away protest would work or would it be laughed at for empty seats from the media who get freebies?
2: So that's the flip side of this yeah. is the empty seat brigade, the seat counters. Um where fans should be uniting and joining together to combat this, because it's not just us that gets to the finals, or there's obviously second, there's another team in the final. Um, I know a few seasons back Liverpool and City had that banner that they held across the away end and the home end. Um, and rather than laughing at fans for having an empty uh, stadium, we need to, it kind of needs, needs to be all of us or none of us in Canada. And I'm... Of, I'd have to, everyone get on board before I'd be leaving my seat and voting with
3: my feet. It's become so toxic, hasn't it, the social media side of it all, because essentially it got to the point where... Um, people are splitting hairs and over the finest of margins in terms of anything they can get one up ship over in terms of empty seats or I've seen someone tweeting today about oh that they only got six retweets in twenty minutes or something like that about football teams. <laughs> it's, it's got that petty to the point where if people need to get together and only a certain bunch of fans and maybe it's probably telling that it's the away fans who obviously take things a little bit more seriously but when when it it comes to getting together, we're pretty bad at it, weirdly, given the fact that, once again, we're all more connected than we ever should be, but
1: we're very bad at it, and I don't think it will sadly change, because I mean, think... The problem is, and we noticed this a few years ago, I, I, I when I wrote for the website Typical City, we tried to, to get a bit of, of momentum behind the idea of, of standing up and walking out of the game when the, the PSG ticket prices were announced for, for City in the Champions League, and the, the overwhelming response from City fans tended to be, the team need our support, and... I get the FA Cup final. It's that the prices are not set by City, so the kind of like the hands are tied on this instance. But there are times when sometimes you just have to go. You know what? I am prepared to give up the thing that I love in order to change this, and that's I think that's what it needs fans to do. It, the problem is at this stage, like 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 Gaz says, if you, if there is a stay away protest, all well, the fans, not just. Snap up those tickets and go instead,
3: and we'll get the brunt of it anyway as well. Like so that basically, yeah, they will. You, you're right in terms of someone else will step in there. Did you see that thing in um over in Swi- uh, Switzerland recently? The Basel was Basel fans. Yeah, well, essentially they felt thirty quid or something like that was too much for tickets, so they essentially offered to pay. I'm just making the numbers up. It. it was something like very low, like fifteen pounds, and they essentially made their own tickets and collected all the money in the pot and took it to the stadium. And I'm not sure if it's happened or they're about to do it, but they're essentially saying you'll take this money and let us in, or you'll take nothing. And that, I mean, I just cannot. Can you? Ask Can imagine that happening over in England in terms of with the tribalers and the the general kind of toxic air around fans? But something like that, something really dramatic, uh, needs to happen. Um, We, I mean, we can do it. We can get together as a fan base. Remember the Ericsson thing, you know, the that petition which I started by the way, which is weird, (laughs) which is a small claim of faith a long time ago. But um, it can be done. It's just. I just can't see it changing. I think we've gone too far down one path and I think there's too much interest in the game that people will be willing to step in some way or another. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's nice. People want to go and people can afford it some. But I feel like it'd just be nicer if if everyone felt more included.
2: I think the players have put 26 coaches on for the final. That's a nice... I think they realise that just because they're successful... It doesn't mean the the fans are rich and successful and can afford each final. So I think that deserves some applaud. It's the fact that the the club are trying to do something. My supporters club have put the have put the free coach on as well. So we are rallying around as a community and as a football base, but it needs to be everyone and it needs to be as far away from ridicule as it can be. Because that's that'd be my fear that as soon as I get out of my seat there's a screenshot on Twitter uh, that we've got those empty seats. Yeah. It's,
1: one it's, one other one of the criticism that we've got, um how I mean it was announced after the 45 and 75 uh, and 70 pound prices had sold out that was that was the earliest i could buy tickets so my, the the cheapest i could get them was 115 uh, a couple of days later it was announced that extra tickets were available at those prices and that's that, shocking that, isn't I mean, it
3: i genuinely shocking when
1: that. people have already paid over the odds to then release the lower prices again
3: but people know that they know that's going to happen they know that, there's no way that's like a, a surprise them like oh so we got thousands and more tickets that genuinely is like um, it's the whole like supply and demand thing. They know they'll shift more because it's about to run out, and then they'll release some more. We get to there, but I think that is genuinely scandalous. It's, there should be some kind of like trading standards and stuff like that. Like you can't uh, put a limited amount of certain price tickets, make people pay higher, then just release them lower again. It feels just because they'll know what what they'll do is they'll put a certain amount, knowing that that bunch will sell out. Because uh, they'll shift the higher price ones then, because essentially they'll know that people will be scared of missing out and so on. And then, like, they're the hardest ones to shift, obviously, the higher price ones. And then, obviously, the cheaper ones are easier to shift again. It just feels so manipulated, like, in general, like they're doing it on purpose. Uh, I'm just surprised that that's allowed,
1: really. But, you know, I'm not surprised at all, I guess, at the same time.
2: It is what it is, isn't it? How many tickets are left?
1: At the time of recording, yeah. I don't actually know. I think, it's, I think they've gone to general sale, but it's. Uh, yeah. The, I, I that but then there's that many left it's um, it's, it's when you see that uh, that concessions of uh, of uh, children three and, and and above are still 200 and odd quid for, for the, the hospitality I think it is in the, in the second <laughs> turn uh, anyway now it's not just the FA Cup final tickets and scheduling that has upset some fans we've had an email from Barry Tiernan who says I wanted to give my view being an Irish fan and travelling over the last few seasons I've visited less and less due to increased ticket prices and airline fares games changing days means I've lost out on a lot of money as well For example, I'd only booked two weeks ago Leicester at home, and then it got moved to the Monday. The flight was €120. I hate to reminisce about days gone by, but I used to get over 11 or 12 times a year, book flights early for a day trip for £30, with no chance of it being moved. That was only 10 years ago. Now it costs me at least twice that for a day trip. Now, Barry's not alone. How annoying is it that the the Leicester game was was moved to the Monday night at the the drop of a hat? I mean, no notice whatsoever. It doesn't affect me, so I'm lucky, because I can literally walk to the game, but...
3: For some people, I, I tweeted about it as well. I remember some guy saying he he booked flights from New Zealand, you know, like, and it, it messed him up entirely. Like, once again, there has to be some regulations for these things. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? That people. And it's such a global game as well. And that's what obviously the FA pushed. They want it to be a global game. So you, there's going to be consequences when you just move games around at such short notice. And. Uh, it's once again it's something that I feel like we should all get behind as a fan base because a lot of people it won't affect and I think we're all relatively local so it yeah. will be okay. And But even then, any of us could have work and so on. Uh, but we wouldn't have to book flights and accommodation, all that kind of stuff. We'll just have to watch on telly, you know, if we can't go for whatever reason. But it's something that I feel like in general I wish people got behind more and fans of other teams because it's not just us affected. I'm sure it affects some Leicester fans as well. Uh, I feel I wish. It was something that, as a bunch of supporters up and down the country, and, and I'm sure it probably happens at championship level as well. You know, I wish we got together and made a point about this because that's where you feel like uh, something that's very it's more winnable in terms of we all got together and made a point about moving games at short notice because it affects travelling fans, away fans, and so on. Uh, even if it doesn't affect me personally, I would be willing to help support anyone it does affect. You know, because it's just
1: awful. People but, have so much money. But Adam, if you want the TV money. <laughs> you, have, yeah. you have to eat the cake, don't you?
2: Well, if you want the TV money, it's the match-going fan that suffers. Um, you think of the VI, VAR experience, again, it's Ugh. the match-going fan that doesn't, we can't see what's going on. Uh, the the changing kickoff time, it's the match-going fan that suffers. If you watch it on telly, you'll watch it on telly in your armchair at 4 o'clock on a Sunday or 8 o'clock on a Monday night. It doesn't matter to you. So the the brunt of it all is it's the match-going fan. And we're just there to be the audience for their TV spectacle. It feels tiring, like isn't now. It? It's really
1: tiring at times. <laughs> well, all of that aside, let's get actually to the football. Um, <laughs> how, how do you see this weekend going? Uh, Liverpool get go to Newcastle, uh, City host Leicester. Tricky one. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm hoping there's some uh, New Camp hangover for Liverpool. Obviously, they've yeah. got another tough trip away to Newcastle. I think they'll put on a show. City lost there. Exactly, it's a tough place to go, and hopefully, that. I always compare our results to Liverpool's results. And obviously, they've got to go to St James's. We lost 2 1. Um, hopefully, Newcastle can do us a favour, and then we. I've just got this fear of if Newcastle do us a favour, we'll take our foot off the gas. <laughs> there was, I, was, yeah. I was talking about the game management, maybe that hopefully that will, that's Nerves of Steel will see us through, because I've always got this thing if the other teams do us a favour, we'll just do them a favour equally back and be back square. <laughs> Wasn't well. it?
3: I think I wasn't it after Newcastle when we lost at the Liverpool drop points as well. Yeah, and I think I remember saying at a time like they only lost points because we lost points. Like I'm almost certain there's there's a definite reaction to that, and I think there's a bit of a correlation in that in general when when
1: slip ups happen because slip ups happen because it's easier to take your eye off the ball and that kind of stuff. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Stephen McInerney wants uh, wants Liverpool to win at Newcastle uh, just to <laughs> keep, just to keep the pressure on City. So they'll no, perform then. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I, I'd rather. I mean, I think the chances of Newcastle taking points are both of us are,
3: are quite slim. I think the like line to strike twice it seems a bit harsh but a Being a bit realistic, but I don't know. I think they will win. I think we'll beat Leicester as well. I feel confident with that one. Um, it's just it's just a confident as it can be. As a city fan, if you put it that way. Well, knowing we
1: we're, just... we're going to get Adam in the studio. I got him to run the stats for uh, for this game. Um, I, I've got him here, and you don't know how you don't half know how to put the frighteners on me. I tell you <laughs> that. Um, of all the teams to play more than three times at the Etihad, Leicester have the best goals per game ratio, <laughs> one point seven one. Up until last season, they were the only team with a positive goal difference at the Etihad after more than one game, because we're not including that dodgy not game from uh, from 2009 I think it was. Uh, they've got eight goals in five Premier League visits. That's the most of any team with five visits. And City only have one Premier League clean sheet against Leicester at home. So uh, Adam, follow that.
2: Well, they're definitely scoring, aren't they? <laughs> um, I get caned on Twitter when I put anything negative about uh, but the, the Leicester facts, the stats don't make that good reading. To be fair, I think we do need to be wary. Uh, they're a good side. Um, Brendan Rodgers will want to Make his mark against us. He'll want to ruin the party. No, no doubt about
1: that. And um, they, they love coming to our place. It's, it's as simple as that. They're in form as well. I mean, they're they're as about as as in form as you can ask for for they're a team outside seven, the they? top six. Yeah, they yeah they, they've they've one draw and two defeats in the last nine games. They've won the other six.
3: <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I didn't realize it was that good. <laughs> uh, they've got a good bunch of footballers and a manager. Who's trying, you know, he's a decent manager. He is a good manager. Um, they are maybe. The fact that they'll come out is maybe that'll help us, weirdly. Maybe I think we'll be... I don't think there's going to be any commitment issues. I think we all know that. I think the players are so up for it. And obviously, those who've seen the likes of Aguero, as we talked earlier, is really driving this team. And maybe if it's um a bit of a shootout, I think we'll win if it's a shootout. I feel like we'll just, you know, look at the Spurs game, for example, um the one we don't want to talk about. But that we still won that game on the day, you know. So, like, I think we'd all accept that again. We'd take that on Monday. But, um yeah strangely I think it's the last day of the season that I'm more nervous about I think it's because it's away and it's because it on paper it's easier and oh I don't know
2: it's a weird one because if you notice uh, disrespects to either of the teams but if someone says to you you've got to beat Leicester and Brighton to win yeah. the league if you don't do that you
3: don't deserve to win the league in my opinion Especially the right we're on as well in terms of Leicester at home and yeah yeah. Right away, yeah it's not good um I Having said that, you could. there's definitely an argument to be said that Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle Limpool have got the harder games out there too, you know, in terms of Newcastle. Uh, Wolves. So, yeah, Wolves Wolves are the exact kind of team you don't want to play in the last game of the season, other than a Big Six team and so on. Uh, actually, maybe, there's an argument to say that a Big Six team will get them up for it more, and I'm not sure you need a reason to get up to, to win the league, but Wolves, uh, look what they did to United, you know, the Wolves are a very good team. They obviously locked Liverpool as well, out of the FA Cup. Um, that's That could be crucial, that really. But... There's, so, there's so many if That's so problem. It likely is. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's essentially four wins from these four games, yeah. you know, in general, mm-hmm. but that's good for us, obviously.
1: Adam, are you worried about Jamie Vardy? He's, uh, he, he's been in form again.
2: Yeah, um, I, I even think when he's not in form, he can pose a threat. I think uh, there was an incident in the first minute of the, a couple of seasons ago, or maybe last season, where a company took him down in the first minute. Was lucky to stay on the pitch. I think company knows tackle I don't know what you're on about. You see perfectly <laughs> timed. That, that pace frightens me, and it, the the way we play as well, where our defenders are defending with almost fifty yards behind them, Vardy will be looking to expose that. And I, I'm wondering whether um, Pet will change the. Centre backs for this game. He obviously brings company in for the running. He wheels him out, and he's our stalwart defender, <laughs> and he's, he's our Special cool head. Player. But he likes a battle with with people like Benteke or Rooney. He plays better against them. A Drogba maybe. Whereas Vardy will be in behind. And I don't know whether Stones and Laporte will be brought in for this one.
1: Yeah, um, I, I don't know about you, Steve, but I get the, the kind of a feeling from this one, with it being a, a now a night game. Feels a bit Aston Villa midweek 2014. Uh, there is something about that, isn't there? There is a. It's going to be.
3: Uh there's, yeah, there's definitely I always feel like there's an ad importance. It's not there isn't, but you know what I mean? When it's a night game, it's a little bit under people, the lights. Yeah, under the lights. People are a little bit more tired. Um there's is parallels, isn't there? Uh which is very I mean, nervy game, though. Very nil, nervy Nil game. nil at half
1: time, four nil in the end. I'd take that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, would.
3: I, I think it's gonna be a very nervy game, once again, I think it will be. I think all the games in this run in are pretty nervy for obvious reasons. I mean we're nowhere near off the best and I think that's understandable given the, the miles we've run and the energy we put in, but um, I think the Burnley game and the United game is probably going to be quite similar to what we're going to see against Leicester in terms of... Uh, I think we'll we'll look back after the 90 minutes, I think and hope anyway, touch wood, we'll look back and go, actually, we were probably more in control than we've realised. That's what I hope will happen, but during the 90 minutes, it'll feel like torture. I think that's
2: all the games recently, yeah. the last few, we've, when you look in hindsight, you think actually, we weren't back, under yeah. that much pressure. It's the emotion that you endure enduring it that you think... Or what could go wrong? And then when you look back, you think, actually, they've not had any shots. We've had most of the ball, we, like we do most games. It just feels awful. It just it, feels it? awful yeah. when you when you live in it,
1: yeah. You don't want to live inside my head when you say <laughs> what can go wrong because there is so much that could go wrong in my mind. Uh, right, so we're raising money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester on our charity bet again this season. Each panellist gets a £10 correct score single with William Hill, and we've raised £918 so far this campaign. One game this week. Let's have some predictions. Uh, Adam, what are you going for? 3-1. Uh, 3-1 three, one. Three, one is 17-2, to two, which is 85 Pounds, if you're right, Steve. I don't know. Just two one. Uh, two one is uh, also seventeen to two, which is uh, eighty five pounds. And because we are, I, I ask you all privately before the show, uh, you all said two one is your first pick. Uh, but Stephen, <laughs> you got there first. Um, I wanted two one as well, and I typed it into my notes beforehand. But then, you know, change it when when I get when I get pipped to it. Um, So I've been left with with not really much options. I've gone for my usual tactic of going for the previous result and go 1-0, which is uh, 10 to 1 and £100 if I'm right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit BeGambleAware.org. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about mental strength. (laughs)
5: badminton on monday night as i always do i lost the first game i wasn't very good i'm not sure i'd recovered from the stress of the previous day it's taking a lot out of me as you may know anyway my game regressed further before i finally won a game at the sixth attempt mostly due to my partner having a good smash shot my confidence was shot for most of the time as is often the case when i lose the first couple of games i am the ultimate confidence player Sometimes I feel invincible, sometimes I'm happy to get the shuttercock over the net more times than not. Apart from my many other obvious reasons and flaws, I could never be a professional athlete because the mental side of things would need too much work and there isn't enough time in the world. But it's a topic that's been on my mind a lot recently, not because of my badminton woes, but because of Manchester City Football Club, mental strength. Mental strength is something that will surely be a key factor in who wins the Premier League this season, especially when the bar has been set this high again. Because if I as a fan cannot handle the stress of this title race, God only knows how the players deal with it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, as Billy Ocean once opined. He knew. So does Pep. He talked about mental strength after the Burn again, commenting on the mental strength to react with the problems the team had without the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho, important players. He added, every press conference I say the same, but from the deep of my heart it is incredible. The world is littered with players of immense talent playing in lower leagues, or even not at all. It's also littered with players of modest talent who reach the top because they had the drive to do so. Players will have been conditioned to deal with situations like this title race. They will all have their own ways of coping. But until you're in the heart of a race like this, one that's almost unique where a single blink can prove fatal, how can they really be sure how they will react? Retaining a title takes mental toughness, it takes a desire to play with the same intensity as the season before. That may explain why no team has done it for over a decade, though poor recruitment by successive champions hasn't helped. And now at the fabled business end of the season, this run of games is a strain mentally as much as physically. We are talking about players who have been playing football non-stop for a long time, For some, it's approaching two years of near-continual football. There is, as always, talk of bottling the title race. Or there was. It's not the first time and it won't be the last. United bottled it in 2012, apparently. Liverpool bottled it in 2014. Spurs bottle everything all the time. It's an easy narrative that suggests that football teams can't just lose a game of football. They must be weak to do so, especially if they do so from a previous position of strength. We're thankfully past that point now. Two teams who have massed over 90 points have bottled nothing. The only bottling is going on behind them. The race for the top four resembling a City coach driving through Liverpool's back streets. But what must be clear by now is that if, if City win their final two league games this season, mental fortitude has to have played a part. Whatever club's budget, whatever their financial might, that alone does not win you 14 league games on the bounce. And here's where Pep comes into the equation. Any football manager is more than just a manager of football matches. He, or she, is a manager of people too. Success depends on firing up the players, motivating them, managing them, caring for them. Look at United under Mourinho and now Soscar. There was and is more than tactics at play there, just as there was the previous times Jose poisoned whole football clubs. The mental side of the game may well be a key reason why Pep was always adamant that a quadruple was not a possibility. He knew that he had the talent and the players to do it, and the depth in his squad, but fighting on four fronts takes more than fresh legs and good ball control. The strain mentally of game after game, with so much on the line, would always take its toll. For him, it was inevitable. And it's not long since sports psychology was mocked and derided by Fleet Street's finest, the old boys' brigade that still think footballers should get pissed when they want to, and wonder how footballers can be depressed when they earn so much money. Psychology is key, though, as is how you handle being a professional athlete. A tennis player who draws level by winning the fourth set is more likely to win the fifth. A penalty scorer in a shootout who celebrates wildly is more likely to see his teammates also score subsequent spot kicks. A team that is two goals down and look dead and buried suddenly scores a goal and immediately the whole feel of the game changes. Momentum and psychology. Gareth Southgate is one person who is well aware of the importance of mental strength. Perhaps this explains England actually winning a penalty shootout under his tutelage. The FA hired Pippa Grange, a psychologist who has been tasked with improving the team's psychological resilience, and they're one of the very few football organisations who are alive to the opportunities that analytics offer in the sport. As Southgate said early in his tenure, I think there are things we can work on with a team to help develop mental strength. I think mental resilience is generally a product of the experiences you've been through, so we have to tap into those. So come next Monday and the Sunday after, City players will step onto the field knowing so much is at stake. More at stake than there is for Leicester, and hopefully more at stake than there will be for Brighton, who I hope will be safe by then. There's more to gain as well, though. I've sensed nerves at the start of the past two games, and Leicester are dangerous, but they've come too far not to be focused now. They won 12 league games on the trot to get to this point. They won at Old Trafford. They beat Spurs. They won a penalty shootout at Wembley in the Carabao Cup. They've passed a lot of tests. So it's over to you, lads. Up to you to show why you're not someone like me. Who gets nervous when a Labour councillor knocked on the door yesterday, worries that a bout of rain will cause all our foreign players to hand in transfer requests, or fears an opposition goal every time they enter our half? You'll thankfully not like me, so good luck and bring it home.
2: Hi, it's Nicky Weaver and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast
0: for a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Howard Hawking there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website Blue bluemoonpodcast.com or you can find us on our brand new Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, the first one comes from Joe Roper on the emails. He asks, with David Silva coming close to the end of a glorious career and Gundogan's future at the club looking a little shaky, might there be some chance that this summer we could sign both a central attacking midfielder and a central defensive midfielder? If so, Oh, who would you like to see join the ranks? Did
3: you see that news today? Um, as we record this, there's a bit of David Silver news about him allegedly going to Japan, which was interesting. Um, which is out of, well, literally out of the blue. At the end of the season? Or? Well, yeah, but apparently he was um, not up with Iniesta. It's one of those things that's so, so left field that you think, well, is there something in this? Because it seems so bizarre, but. Um, yeah, I mean that's come out of nowhere. I think in general though, we we need a whole bunch of midfielders. Uh, it's it, like we, you forget that we're going to need a Fernandinho replacement, and we also need a Fernandinho backup anyway. So there's, there's maybe two central midfielders there, and then with David Silva moving on. Maybe that'll be Foden stepping in full time, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Pep still wants someone to be a bit more senior there. We are linked to Bruno Fernandes. Uh, we're linked to the, pretty much every midfielder who plays for Atletico Madrid at the moment in terms of uh, Saul, Rodri, and uh, Thomas Party. So I think we we just will really reinforce that over the next two or three years. But um, I would be gutted if Gundogan left because I think he's a £15 million pound player that we'd have to replace. And given the Fernandinho and Silva,
1: well, they're getting older. It would just be a massive blow, I reckon. Don't forget it's all De Bruyne's to come back. Yeah. Yeah,
2: And just to throw another name in the hat, uh, Otamendi looks like he could be going. Do we promote Garcia or do we go in the market?
3: Well, that was the rumour today, wasn't it, about um, apparently we might be sending a centre-back and putting off a left-back because of that, Um, because it seems like a focus, because as Garcia like, as good as he is, I feel like he's he's definitely seen as the fifth choice still, as opposed to the fourth choice next season. Maybe he does.
1: Well, since the conversation's heading this way, let's bring in Curtis Simpson from Twitter, who asks, Mendy appears to be injured again, but we're hearing noises that City won't be in for a new left-back in the summer. Is this a wise move? It was interesting, essentially. I'm not sure if you saw the reports.
3: It came from Samley. He was saying that there's been loads of issues with him in training, in terms of the point where he was apparently, like, breaking down in tears when he was being confronted about it, and he was having real trouble with it all. And um, so it seems like... uh, I'm not. I actually heard personally from <laughs> take, it, take it or leave it, as you know, some, some source. So on, someone I know in general who works in football said that um, this was like last November, saying that City would even look in at someone in January potentially. You know, January just gone, but they decided not to go for it because it was unrealistic and so on. But they've been apparently been getting quite frustrated with Mandy for a long time in terms of um, just his reliability. And obviously, this will be like the third proper season now in a row next season. Um, without a first-choice left back, and he can't be
1: blamed for his injuries. Though, no, can? he can't.
3: No, but it becomes a point where it's like, well, what were you meant to do about it? If you know what I mean? But what 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 are the alternative options? Because we can't, we're not going to sell him because we will make no money on him. Obviously, um, I don't think that would be a good idea anyway. I think an ideal situation would be going in with like an unprecedented free left backs in terms of you know, Mendy, uh, if he gets fit. Zinchenko seems to be happy to be the squad guy and then maybe someone else. And then I think whoever's the weakest link at the end of next season essentially moves on. But it's a weird one with Mendy, isn't it? Because I think we all forget. We don't forget, essentially, but because we rarely see him forget how good he can be, you know, in terms of what he can bring to the team. And he is pretty much a perfect little kind of Guardiola fullback if he's fit, but it's just... He just never is, is he? Mm, so. I
2: think uh, Chilwell might be having an audition on Monday night. Oh, no,
1: <laughs> I hope he's <was> always terribly. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, CJ Kohick on Twitter asks, what are the chances that any gaps in the squad could be filled with academy players next season? Adam, do you, do you reckon, uh, do you reckon, would that be a wise move or, or should City just, just be, you know, like they always have done, go into the transfer market?
2: Well, the Jadon Sancho saga has forced me into the thinking of we need to start bringing players through, like Foden, just to erase that stigma that oh if you're a young <laughs> player at city you're not going to get into the first team and I think Foden has proved that if you stick around and you're willing to fight I'm not saying Sancho wasn't but he saw his path limited and good luck to him he's doing amazing at Dortmund but I think we need I I'm more than happy to bring in a, a younger player and allow them to bed in obviously success won't necessarily come off the back of that and it, we need constant success so it's it's a balancing act but I'm
3: more than happy for us to bring in some younger players I think we've got some good young players in the academy at the moment. I'm not sure any are quite ready. I think there was essentially a golden trio uh, a couple of years back, Brahim, um, Foden, Sancho. Uh, For what it's worth, if Sancho was around, I think he'd probably start to be playing games regularly. But, you know, that ship has sailed for whatever reason. Um... Those three were seen as very special, even at their age group. To the point where even Barcelona saw Brahim special, and they wanted him beforehand. And then you know, Foden was the guy training with Pep when he was fifteen, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Sancho, once again, he was Sancho wasn't just this good lad; he was this like under seventeen best player in the world kind of lad. You know, um, I, I think we've got some very talented players like the likes of Tommy Doyle and Felix and Metro's Obviously, made his debut already, and Eric Garcia is probably the next one in line, really Garcia. Um, but I still think I don't think I can't really see anyone next year being uh, a project. Uh, in the way that Foden is obviously a project for Guardiola. Well, I, was,
1: I was going to bring on to Foden just, just kind of it kind of neatly sidesteps that way. A, a lot of fans all season have been have been pushing for Foden to get more and more time, but I I actually think when you look at, at the season as a whole, Guardiola has managed him well. Hasn't he's he? right.
3: Yeah, I, I'm very much like pushing. I'm very pro academy news, but I've always felt he's dealt with Foden really well because. I, I honestly believe that his intentions with Foden have always been honest, and I think they've been proven to be honest, really. Um, but Foden was—he's just a small lad, literally. That I always felt in general, he was just for the heart of the field, He was just muscled off a little bit too much, and and he was also probably in the position where we were most we strongly stocked in terms of all the players we've got. Because what even like even if say David Silver and um, uh, De Bruyne weren't there, and we had someone to play instead of Fernandinho. You'd still play Fernandinho ahead of Foden because he's still more senior, all that kind of stuff. Like it's understandable Foden didn't play much, but I think he's proven Foden personally that um, if you are genuinely good enough, and Foden is like for his age group, he's phenomenal. We have to; he's not just a good teenager; he's like phenomenally good, and then you will get a chance. Um, I think we, you kind of know as well because you start to see these players. Uh, the reason I'm so confident we won't see him next season is because I think they'll be training with the first team ready. We would have been seeing the press photos, you know, on, on mancity.com. We would have seen that 18-year-old, lad, 17-year-old lad training every single week in the way that Foden is. Foden has been a project of Guardiola for two years now. He's only starting to get into the team. I think if Eric Garcia um, was about to be a regular first team member, I think he would have been literally in training every single day and been nowhere near the EDS in the way that Foden was. I, he obviously is still quite as focused, but I don't think there's anyone there yet because... I think we just see the signs our training. And I think that because that's a big part of how um, Guardiola manages these young lads. So Foden's great. He's genuinely brave. I think he's proven it. Um, but I think at the moment, and not because
1: of a lack of trying, I think it's just there's not quite the quality he is because he literally is special. And uh, we'll squeeze one more question in. I think uh, Matt Butler on Twitter asks, what's your view on the celebration kit and what is your guilty pleasure (laughs) kit that you've had, that City have had? Uh, And I suspect the fact that he's asking for our guilty pleasure kits, I suspect Matt quite likes the celebration kit.
2: Uh, My first guilty pleasure kit was the one, it was yellow with a black stripe down towards the left-hand side. Michael
1: Richards at Everton. Yep.
2: No, I'm going. I like that one. I'm going before that. It was oh 97. Concordia. Yeah, 97. They uh, were playing
1: Oxford away. Yeah, I think it was the third kit for one game. Yeah, and
2: they did, I don't think they released it. That was my guilty pleasure. This celebration one's awful.
3: Steve. Oh, um, do you remember the all white one that Mark Kennedy wore? Yeah, that's yes. my guilty. That's a guilty That's a good Uh, kit. Yeah, Yeah, but I think it's for it to be a guilty play. It's got to be a bad (laughs) kit. I I think. I think. I think. I remember thinking it wasn't very nice, but I liked it because when I was a little kid, I looked a bit like Mark Kennedy, essentially. (laughs) So, like, I I remember really liking. Now that was. I think it's not a guilty pleasure, but it's one that's been largely ignored, I reckon, uh, from that era. Um, My first kit was the. um, you remember the purple and white striped away one the night? Was it night? not that year was that night? 90, Ninety-four, is it? Something yeah, like that, yeah. It. That was my first kit, and actually, you know what my guilty pleasures are all the goalkeeper kits that i came all tony cohen because <laughs> i yeah. loved all the yellow
2: i came one from 96 i yeah. had tony the orange cohen. one I,
1: I hate the orange one because um i i was sick in it I, when i was a kid <laughs> i was i was sick as a child and, and i orange. was wearing that and i just i've always associated
3: it with being ill i re- i was a keeper as a kid and um like yourself yeah i, was kid. I'm, I um, still am but not yeah. yeah and i remember um <laughs> we had a guy doing our drive like he was like a builder guy he's like oh i know tony cohen and he said he'd get Tony Cohen to sign that um, kind of yellowy kind of yep. weird patterned one with a kind of weird stripe through the middle. And he got Tony Coulton sign it. and I believed it for years. And I'm thinking, actually looking back, you probably just didn't. Just he probably yeah, just, 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 just scrolled probably on just himself. And, I, and I've only done literally only probably recently, is about six months ago. Thought that actually <laughs> that probably wasn't real because I told that story. So I what like, you know what, You definitely didn't know Tony Coates. Yeah. You know I mean? Like, what? though having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Cohen did just go to a pub somewhere around at the time but, and so, yeah, yeah, sign uh, things.
1: My uh, my guilty pleasure is anything yellow. I just for some reason that just looks like the, the Michael Richards one. The yeah. I mean that one you were talking about, yeah. Adam, I loved, uh, but the the ghost green. Um, that everybody hated in that final Pellegrini season. Oh, the, co- um, we the dark one. Yeah, yeah. I quite, I quite like that one. <laughs> That's great that, that
3: reminds me of Sevilla away. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's That's great uh, fun, that kid, though, wasn't it? Really? It was good. It I became
3: a it. meme, so it was good fun.
1: I loved it. I loved it. Right, well, two more Premier League games to go, and it's looking like it's going to go to the wire. We'll be back next week to look at the picture going into the game with Brighton. The best-case scenario is that it's over and City are champions, though that is surely something of a pipe dream. The worst-case scenario is... Well, that doesn't really bear thinking about right now, does it? On this week's Patreon bonus show, we're discussing City Academy graduates, and that's available for everyone who backs the show by $2 per month or more as a thank you for helping us out with our running costs. We have also packaged and sent out all the final badges, bottle opener's mugs for all the old Patreon reward tiers, so if you're expecting any of them, they should be with you very soon. Special thanks to my two guests this week, Stat City, Adam Carter. Cheers. And Steam company, Stephen McInerney. Thank you very much. I'm David Mooney, and we'll be back in seven days' time. See you then.